have a Bible with you, which I hope you do, turn to the book of James. If you need a free one at Guest Connections, get that after the service. We'll be in chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. We speak, write, or type thousands of words a day. No matter your job, your personality type, some of you are high extroverts and you have covered thousands of words already and it's not even 11. Others of you are introverts and you've said maybe 12 words today. All right? No matter your spectrum, we are constantly communicating. Smartphones only give us that many more vehicles to use. Ironically, the phone part is the one we probably use the least of on there. In the course of this service, I will say over 5,000 words. So now midweek, let's say office is quiet, no meetings. I will not say collectively 5,000 words during the afternoon and morning. All right? I enjoy those days as much as I enjoy these days, but I will be communicating during those days. I'll be texting, handwriting, typing. Words will be flowing from my heart, whether they're spoken or in some sort of written form. And you're the same way. We're constantly communicating. We are made in the image and likeness of, of a God who is a communicating God. We have his word. He's not silent, but he's given us his word. Someone has said that we'll spend 20% of our lives communicating and talking. That's a massive amount of time. Novels worth of words that over the years that could be written with our words. I'm 42 years old. I'm several novels in. And as I look back on my life, if I just narrow my life to the past 25 or 26 years of me following and trusting Jesus, as I look back on those years, here's what I know about those words. There are words that I've said and communicated that I wish I could have have erased from that novel, that I could sharpie over, tear out the page. Words that were not gracious, not loving, not truthful. Words not for good and blessing, but evil and cursing. And no, I'm not talking about swear words necessarily. I'm talking about words that were motivated by self, sin, evil, not motivated by, by God's love. There are also words that I've said and communicated that if they were written down, I'd love to go back and read them again. Not so that I could beat my chest and be like, honey, see, look, I nailed this one right here. Forget this one, honey, but look at this one. Not so that I could do that, but that would be evidence of God's work in my life. Evidence that the Spirit of God is alive and active in my heart. Words of love, words that built up, words that spoke of hope, that revealed my internal faith in Christ. That doesn't mean all those words were flowery and soft. Many of them were. But it also means that some of the hard things I've said, speaking the truth in love, have still been for the good of the listener. They were motivated by love, not motivated to curse or to bring some sort of condemnation. So we've all communicated words that we'd like to take back and words that we'd love to replay if we could. And we've also received We've heard, we've taken in words that fall into both those categories. Words that we'd never like to hear again. I hate you. You suck. We're through. You're such a loser. I wish you were more like your failure. You'll never change. I don't love you anymore. That is uncomfortable to say those words, and yet we've all heard those at different times. 
Words that were not motivated to bless, but to curse. We've also heard words that we'd love to hear again and that we never get tired of hearing, I love you. 23 years into marriage, I don't get tired of that one. I believe in you. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? You bring me great joy. I love this, whatever this is, about you. It's so good to see you. I'm praying for you. Let me pray for you. I'm with you no matter what. Thank you for uh, just words of gratitude. There's a power to our words that we so often underestimate. But when we look back at our lives, whether it be years ago, months ago, or the last couple hours, we can point to words that we have spoken and heard that either brought a blessing or a curse. And knowing that, knowing that years up ahead, over those years, we're just going to be writing novels upon, upon novels, pages upon pages with our words, knowing that our words carry weight, that this is a vital area of importance. Here's what we know, what we could collectively say, that we all have room to make progress and grow in this, that we are not just like Jesus yet. We want to be marked as a people if you know Christ as Lord and Savior, we want to be marked as people who are prone to speak blessing, not curse. We can't control what other people say to us, but for us, in our mouths, and our tongues, we can grow in letting the Lord direct and control and guide our speech. In the New Testament, this passage here in James is the single most continuous passage about, the word of, about our words here in the New Testament. He's writing to believers, brothers and sisters, and these, and these believers are new to faith in Christ. And he's reminding them, listen, Jesus is Lord over not just your, your sin, but he's Lord over your, your mouth and your tongue. He's not just Savior of your soul, but in Christ, you're a new creation. The old is gone. And so your speech should reflect that new creation. There's this underlying theme in this text, in the analogies that he uses, asking the question, who's in control? Who's directing our words? And depending on who or what is in control, it's going to result in language that blesses or language that curses, words that build up or words that tear down. I want to see you and me make progress in this. I want to see you and me grow in Christ's likeness. We've already heard encouragement this morning about our mission to make disciples and to be a disciple maker. We see that ongoing there through Bix's and Julie's mission. That's the same mission that we're called to. And as a disciple of Jesus, we need to grow in our speech, speech that would glorify the Lord and be good for the listener. So in this passage, James is going to give four reminders. He's going to remind us that we are called to mature up in, grow in Christ-likeness in this area. He's going to remind us of the power of our words. He's going to remind us that this won't be easy to control our words and only the Lord's power has the ability to tame the tongue. And finally, he's going to remind us that hypocrisy, hypocrisy in our words is not what the Christ follower is called to. That we should not be content with this double-minded speech that we are called to make progress instead. So verses 1 and 2 in James 3. Not many should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that we will receive a stricter judgment. 
For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is mature, able also to control the whole body. So as it relates to our speech, James is first going to go after me. He's going to go after any teacher in the faith family, reminding us that our words matter because words influence. They can bless, they can curse. Teaching is important in the local church, not just preaching, but teaching in sun chasers, teaching in a community group, in student ministry, informal ways. It affects the health of a church. So in the early church, all the way up to today, there are some who clamor for the spot. But their motivations in doing so are not uh, God-driven. They are driven by self. And I want to make it about me. I want to be about my kingdom. And James is giving this sober reminder to teachers that, listen, your weight and your words matter. Teachers and under-shepherds in the church are accountable for the souls that we are charged to shepherd. A stricter judgment is due and is coming. But that doesn't drive us to fear. That drives us to dependence as that teacher or shepherd. It drives us to depend upon the Lord, trust in the Spirit's power, trust in His Word. And then in verse 2, I love this because James is not above the reader or listener. We all stumble, he writes. We all sin. We are all imperfect. We all are coming from a, not from a place of self-righteousness. He, he's not coming from that. He's, he's not coming from a place that is above the people, but among the people. And yet he's not excusing sin. And he's saying believers, including teachers, stumble with our words. We don't always get them right. Stumble doesn't mean fatal fall off the cliff. It means to trip up, to hinder your spiritual, your spiritual progress. We'd all agree to that, that we've tripped up when it comes to our words. And what James is saying in verse 2 is that our words reveal our hearts. Spiritual maturity is evidenced by the use of our tongue. Like when you go to the doctor, your throat is hurting. What do they say? They say, stick out your tongue. Let me see what's back there. Let me see what your tonsils look like, your white spots. Are there white spots or whatever else? Uh, I should have talked to my wife ahead of time. Whatever else they're looking for, okay? But stick out your tongue because it reveals the health or the sickness that is ongoing. James is saying that exact thing. Stick out your tongue. Let's see what's back in there. The ESV translates the word mature there in that verse as perfect. What James is not saying is that until you perfectly nail every single word, you'll never be mature. Rather, listen to how the NLT says verse 2. Indeed, we all make many mistakes. For if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. Only Jesus nailed this one. He batted a thousand A-plus on every tongue test. This whole letter is about bringing believers to maturity to see how faith in Christ, a real faith, affects all of life. All of life, including our words. Our words reveal, are we making progress in our sanctification? Because our words reveal the whole person. They're not isolated off. In Matthew 12, Jesus said that out of the overflow of our hearts, the mouth speaks. It reveals what's on the inside, what's in our hearts. It reveals, are we growing in Christ-likeness or are we growing in sin? When you, so when you blow your lid on the 15-year-old umpire, umpiring your kid's game, 
It reveals your controlling and idolatrous heart and not that teenager's ability to call balls and strikes. When you gossip about someone's sin, and did you hear about so-and-so, it reveals much more about your heart of self-righteousness than that person's sin. When you're like, did you see what they're driving now? Did you see where they went on vacation? Did you see the house that they moved into? How can they afford that? It reveals much more about your envy than your self-righteous supposed contentment. When you send the angry and malice-filled email or text to the person who you think did you wrong or did your kid wrong, it reveals the idol of control and power in your life, not the injustice that you want to deal with. When you're slandering someone's character and misrepresenting them in order to get people to like you and do what you want them to do and be on your team, it reveals that you're a manipulator. And that your identity is not in the Lord, it's in what people think of you. When you speak or write sexual words to the person that you're not married to, it reveals lust in your heart. Not a compliment. It reveals lust. When you lash out at your parents, it reveals much more about your pride in your heart than the validity of the instruction or counsel that your parents are giving you. When you're just venting on social media, it reveals less about the issue that you are dealing with or venting about and much more about that you want people to comment, like, heart, basically affirm your position and say, you're right, they're wrong, you're awesome, they're terrible. You'd never say that, but that's exactly what you're doing. You're looking for the approval of man rather than being secure in your identity in Christ. When we bring up that old sin in marriage, it reveals that we're wanting to condemn the other person. That grace is good for you, but they need law. And the bitter root has to be dealt with. It doesn't justify the sin, but it does expose what needs to be dealt with in your own heart. When we exaggerate, bend the truth, share selectively, withhold certain, certain truths, bold-faced lie, attack the person, bully others, say something with the intent to bring curse and evil rather than good. All of those things expose our hearts. Someone should look at our speech. Someone should not look at our speech and go, I hear you're a Christian, and then go, wait, what? That, that's what a Christian says? That's how they write? That's how they deal with that? Huh, okay. I became a Christian in high school. Early on, here's the lie that I thought. That I could live with a forked, tongue, a double-minded tongue. So in this circle over here, with those in authority, with my parents, with uh, coaches, with the church crowd, I better watch what I say. But when I'm over here with this group, this group of ungodly friends, you know what? In order to get a laugh, I'll mock, I'll gossip, I'll drop a bomb here and there, because it'll get them to laugh, because I want them to accept me. And I had this double-minded speech, or in basketball, right? I'll drop the bomb on that kid because I want to literally crush him. But it'll be quiet. Nobody will know. When a person comes to faith in Christ, what I missed is that the whole of our lives is to change. 
because the core of our lives has changed, our hearts, our souls, our minds. This week, read through Galatians 5. He talks about this, this contrast between works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. If you read through those, our tongue can reveal all of those things, whether it be the fruit or the flesh. As a Christ follower, with our words, we desire that they reveal the fruit of the Spirit, the Spirit of God alive and active in us. Yes, we're going to stumble, but by God's grace, we're going to make progress, right? Because our words are powerful, which is where James goes next, giving us three pictures of power. Verses 3 through 5. Now, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we direct their whole bodies and consider ships. Though very large and driven by fierce winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So too, though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. Consider how a small fire sets ablaze a large forest. So in all those three pictures, here's what we see. Small things can have great power. Small things have great power. And when controlled, they can lead to effective, wonderful things. They can bring joy, rest, warmth, nourishment. And when uncontrolled, they lead to disaster. Who is in control of your tongue? Who's in control of your words? Is there a spirit of self-control or a spirit of out of control. Three pictures. Bits and horses is the first one. This tiny piece in a horse's mouth can control the enormous energy and power of a horse. If under control, a horse can be effective in moving and working and bringing joy to the rider. One of our vacations, we went on a horseback ride in Colorado. We paid for that, all right? We paid for that because we pulled up and didn't see them rearing back being crazy in the fence. Had they been crazy and out of control, be like, eh, I think we'll go back into town and do a little shopping or something. But they were under control, and that was an awesome trip. It brought good, good scenery, good memories, good relationships, and such is the case with our mouths. Our mouths have the power to bring good. If a, ho- if a horse was out of control, though, it'd bring disaster. Rudders and ships, same idea. We've never taken a cruise before. Some of you have. But the ship, under control, going where you want it to go, brought good to your life because you could eat like eight meals a day from what I gather, all right? Even if a storm kicked up, you didn't really notice. You're like, let's eat again. And you gathered together because it was able to steer through storms safely. It brought good. But an out-of-control ship brings disaster because of its power, its size, all controlled by a small rudder. Campfires and forest fires. We have a fire pit in our backyard. I love a good fire, a campfire. Over a controlled fire, you can cook food for nourishment, get warm, watch that fire dance. But it's controlled. Out of control, it becomes a forest fire. All it takes is that uncontrolled spark. As it relates to our tongue, that sharp word, that careless remark, it can unravel a forest full of relationships. It can consume and destroy. The little kid rhyme of sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. It's an utter lie, isn't it? I don't know if that's still around, but it's an utter lie. Now, what James is not suggesting here is that the solution to taming the tongue is a code of silence. Like, you don't solve the problem of an untamed horse by just keeping it in the barn all the time. 
or an out-of-control ship by leaving it in the shipyard. To follow Christ is not a life of avoidance. Yes, we are to flee sin, not to be led into temptation. I'm not talking about avoiding those things. Rather, to walk in faith means that you're moving. You're driven more by desiring to please your Father in heaven and glorify Him than potentially screw up and sin and mess up, make a mistake. To follow Christ is obedience, not avoidance. Is there a time to shut our mouths? Every spouse in here says, yes, right? Yes, that's wise. Yes and amen. But James is saying, with all these pages yet to be written with the words that we have, who's going to control those? Who's going to write those? Will the Lord be over those? Or will you be at the reins and you be at the steering wheel? Will the Spirit of God be stoking that fire so that it's warm and beautiful to look at? Or will your flesh be stoking that fire and it becomes out of control? And James is going to keep building on that imagery of fire here in verse 6. And the tongue is a fire. The tongue, a world of unrighteousness, is placed among our members. It stains the whole body, sets the course of life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Every kind of animal, bird, reptile, and fish is tamed and has been tamed by humankind. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. So in verse 6 there, we get two negative pictures of the effects of our tongue. One is fire, think charring up, and then one of staining. So the fire of our tongues, if left unguarded, placed within the family of God, within our members, it's going to stain, it's going to char up relationships. And what we see there is the uncontrolled tongue, the tongue that is ruled by sin and self, rather than the spirit, is actually set on fire by hell. Meaning the roots of such speech is from our spiritual enemy. And we learn from Jesus in John 10.10 that the enemy's mission is to, while Jesus comes to bring life and life to the full, the enemy has come to bring, to steal, kill, and destroy. It's the simplest mission statement there ever was. Steal, kill, destroy. That's the enemy's mission. And so he will use words to set fire to relationships, set fire to your joy, set fire to your faith, to your life. 1 Peter 5.8 tells us that the devil's like a lion prowling around looking for someone to devour. He's a restless evil intent on destroying, and such is the case of a tongue that is not ruled by the Spirit of God. It's, it's going to be quick to defend them. It's going to be quick to lash out, swift to attack, no one approaches the restless, evil tongue with joy, do they? Oh, I can't wait to go talk to that person. But it's like a line. You're like, I might get devoured if I approach them, so I better stay back here. A woman once came to John Wesley and said, she knew what her talent was, and she said, I think my talent from God is to speak my mind. Wesley replied, I don't think God would mind if you bury that talent. Speaking forth, everything that comes to mind is unwise and it's poisonous. It's just deadly poison spewing out. So we might read this passage and be thinking, man, James is saying that so we can tame animals, we can take them to the zoo, we can go to the circus with these tamed animals, we can go to the alligator farm. 
but we can't tame the tongue, so I guess we're hopeless. He's not saying that. He's not despairing here. He's not saying, well, here's hoping, but you're still going to screw it up. What he is saying is that you're not going to beat this in your own strength. And if you think you do, then you're going to be marked by self-righteousness. You're just going to trade sin for sin, tone for tone. But the one who created you, the one who can save you through Christ and give you new life and a new heart can tame the tongue. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead can do this work in you because he beat death. So the tongue is not greater than death. The result, the problem of sin in our hearts and our brokenness is never fixed by us. That's what the gospel tells us. The good news says Jesus is is the remedy. Jesus is the one we run to, not ourselves. We are dependent on the Spirit, and you and I need to wake up every day saying, Lord, I'm depending on you to help me tame this wild beast. I want to bring good, not evil. Verses 9 through 12, with the tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. Does a spring pour forth sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives, my brothers and sisters, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a saltwater spring yield fresh water. So while taming the tongue is impossible with God, all things are possible, or impossible with man, careful now, all things are possible with God. That's what we believe as believers, so we can't be content with or settle for hypocrisy. And he gives us three pictures that would make no sense if we saw these in creation. So when it comes to our speech, if you claim to be a Christ follower and you're saying Jesus is Lord and Savior of of your life, all your life, it is contradictory and confusing. If someone comes across your life and goes, I anticipated sweet water coming from you and all I taste and hear is bitter. James is saying it is absolute silliness or foolishness of thinking if we think, In this space, we bless God, we sing these songs, we praise, we speak with sweetness when we're with the church crowd, and then we walk out, and during the workplace or with friends or during the other six days, we just spew salty rage, envy, pride, gossip, idolatry, and somehow call that Christianity. May you and I never be content with ongoing hypocrisy. May we allow the Spirit of God to be the loudest voice in our life. May we repent and know that we will be met with grace and the power to change. In all those pictures in creation, the source has to change. The spring of water has to change. The root of the tree or vine has to change. So to tame the tongue, you and I need to get to the source, the heart Again, I ask you, who rules over, who controls your tongue? Our words can be used for the highest of callings and the lowest of evils. We were designed by God's image to bear and reflect his image to the people around us. So what are we to do then? James doesn't necessarily lay out a three-step plan. One picture of spiritual growth in the New Testament is that of putting off and putting on. Putting off the old person that that was born in sin, the things of that person, the idolatry, selfishness, pride, 
and then putting on the new person in Christ that's been born again by, by the Spirit and by truth. The person who's been made alive in Christ, putting off the dead and sin person, putting on the made alive in Christ person. Colossians 3 talks about that contrast and talks about how the Word should be dwelling richly among our gathering, among the family of God. I thought this quote from Sinclair Ferguson gives us good counsel on how the Word, if we're delighting in it, dwelling in it, can lead to transformation of our tongues. He writes, The work of the Word inaugurates the Christian life, but it also sustains its progress. My tongue is ongoingly cleansed and transformed by what comes from God's tongue. As the heart hears with open ears the Word of God again and again, it is renewed and begins to produce a transformed tongue. The principle is this. What comes out of our mouths is more and more determined by what has come out of the mouth of God. The sanctification of the tongue is a work in us that is driven by the Word of God coming to us as we hear it and indwelling us as we receive it. The most important single aid in my ability to use my tongue for the glory of Jesus is allowing the Word of God to dwell in me so richly that I cannot speak with any other accent. What accent are you speaking with? I'm not talking about from 10 to 11. What accent are we speaking with as a way of life? May the accents of our speech reveal where we come from, that we are new creations in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. We're making progress by the grace of God for the glory of God. If the worship team could come back up. Imagine, church, how if we collectively said, Lord, you rule over my speech because you rule over my heart. How that would transform the relationships at home, in our workplaces, this place, this family. How something so small could have such a dramatic effect and bring sweet, fresh water to marriages, to households, to parenting, to friends, to community groups, to the people you and I are driven to reach. We want to bring fresh water to them, water that reveals the accent that we have come from being born again. And we are new creations. Father God, we trust, we love you, we need you, Lord. We are grateful for the gospel. The gospel reminds us that, that the past does not define us. And so for all of us, probably in different ways, we have set forth ablaze with our words. And God, thank you that there is grace and that you enable us to make right and restore relationships. We see that in the gospel. We also see in the gospel that our past sin does not define our future. So you are making progress in us. So enable us by your spirit to be people that would speak in a way that is glorifying to you, reflective of the work that you have done in our hearts that you continue to do. I pray that as your people, that our thoughts, our meditations, our words would be pleasing to you. We love you. We depend upon you. And we want our lives and our words to bring you blessing and to bring those around us blessing and good. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.